Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Finally, the week that I have been waiting for. We've got college football this weekend. Navy playing at Notre Dame, but in Ireland, not uh, at Notre Dame, but in Ireland. Well, and, it is at uh, the Irish. Well, that's as Irish you can get, frankly. It's a home field advantage because literally everybody there in the in the country is Irish. So, yeah, the Irish are going home to the Irish. And then uh, San Jose State plays USC, I believe, later in the evening. But it is it is college football. It is week zero. Hell, there might even be game day on. I haven't checked the listings, but you can. It is football that counts. Yes. Like, we've been seeing NFL preseason games. Yes. And that means football's back, and it's it's getting there, but... These games count in the stand. There will be wins and losses in the standings after this weekend. It's just awesome. So we're going to talk to Matt Baker all about that and some other things like the Netflix series on the University of Florida. You want to stay tuned for that and much, much more. Uh, the Tampa Bay Rays, they sweep the Colorado Rockies, who are not a good team. But I'll say this, it's hard to sweep any team these days. And if you can do it once again, three straight games, Steve, they came from behind. This team is Starting to hit the baseball quite a bit, even without Wander Franco. It is, although let's you know qualify a little bit. One of the reasons that you get three come from behind wins against Colorado is because their bullpen is awful. That's true. <laughs> it's true. They're really bad. So, I mean, it was like not just by like they're down by two, they're down by three, they're down by you know an eighth inning, ninth inning. Like it just uh, it was crazy. Yeah. But um, but you know you, you play the teams on your schedule, and you yeah. need to go and get those wins. So it's about the wins, yeah. As we're taping this now, the Orioles are leading in mm. the six. So if that holds, it'll still, still be two a games. two game deficit to the Orioles. Um yeah. so the, yeah, they're up two runs on the Blue Jays in the sixth right now. So that shows how important though, you know, you think, well, if you win series you're in good shape. But hey, in reality you gotta fight for every win and, and to be able to sweep Colorado, that might keep them within two games of the Orioles or, or well they did you know, catch up there's... a game because uh the Toronto did beat the Blue Jays in one game this week so they were three That's back right. going into the week at worst right. case you'll be two back as you hear this podcast right right so yeah uh good series for them swinging the bats well and a titanic blast by Josh Lowe it went about 450 feet I think uh to to right right yeah. central and now you get another bad team coming in the Yankees Yes. How about that? Wow. They've won, what, lost 10 of 11? Yeah. Although Aaron Judge is kind of putting on his own show. So he had another bomb, I think, on uh, on Thursday, Thursday, if I'm yeah. not mistaken. Yeah. So he's but, hit, he had like four or five home runs in, in a two-game stretch. But yeah. So he's hot. So you pitch around him, you should be okay. Um, and then uh, the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, of course, there are headed up to uh, play their final preseason game at Raymond James Stadium. This one against the Baltimore Ravens. Yes, you will see starters in this game, uh, preferably. I talked to Todd Bowles a little bit on Thursday. Uh, he would like to see them play a half of football. Um, Baker Mayfield, of course, now the starting quarterback, and you get to see Tristan Wirfs and Matt Filer and uh, some of the you know the the, the projected starting offensive line. Uh, Mike Evans, Chris Godwin are expected to play, and then defensively you'll see guys like Devin White. Um, 
you know, uh, Shaq Barrett. I mean, all those guys that have been held out of the first two preseason games will get a chance to uh, to get their feet wet a little bit. And this is it. I mean, because after this game, they got a week week off, or not a week off, but a week before the game week uh, in preparation for their opener at Minnesota, September tenth. Um, and of course, there'll be cuts before that. But yeah, it's going to be. It's going to look like football, and this is the only action these guys have had when you think about it, going back to the playoff game all the way back last January. So they need they need this work, and if you talk to these veterans, they're anxious to get on the field. Training camp and, and preseason has changed so dramatically, and you know, in talking to Todd Bowles, like one of the reasons is that like these off-season programs, guys stay in shape. Like you know, nowadays it's not like the old days where you had to come into training camp mm-hmm. to get in shape, right? Um, and, 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 you know, they make plenty of money, and athletes generally keep themselves in pretty good shape. But it's not football shape. And so, you know, the the OTAs are voluntary. Not everybody comes. So when you get to training camp, you're not really sure, you know, where the players are at physically. And as hot as it's been and all of that, I, I, I just think that teams now, which is three preseason games, have decided, and it's a group think in the NFL, that, Hey, these these first couple games, like we can't rush our guys out there until they've had a chance to get their legs under them, until they've been in pads in practice, until they've had maybe you know a scrimmage or a controlled scrimmage against another team, joint practice, whatnot. They really don't want to see them on the field uh, until they know sort of you know they they get back into into the grind of of, of training camp. But at the same time, they need to find out what they have in the young players and whether or not these guys can help them. So the Bucks this year, more than any other year for a while now, because they had sort of kept the band together for three years under Tom Brady, they had a lot of older players, and they had to say goodbye to a bunch of older players. And they had $50 million on the salary cap that they were over. And um, But it, they needed to get younger, and they needed to get faster. And so that's what they have. They have a younger team. Um, and, and, and Steve, there could be as many, I was told the other day, uh, that there could be 14 to 17 players on this team that are new players. And most of those are rookies or undrafted free agents. I mean, it, it, and, and, and these aren't just because, Hey, we don't have any money. Like this is like, this is one of the better draft classes and pre-agent classes they've ever had. And universally, the coaches that I've talked to agree with that. Um, they're 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 deep in in receiver. They're deep at outside linebacker. Like there's there's going to be a lot of guys make this team, and it needed to because it's still a young man's game. You know, it's for whatever you say. Players that are in this league do not get more productive and less injured as they get older. That's just not the way it goes. You know, Tom Brady notwithstanding, it's just not. And so. Uh, this team has needed to get younger, did get younger, and the reason why so many of these guys are playing is, you know, is not just let's evaluate them, but it's really because, hey, we're going to need them to play. Like these are going to be our players. Like we're going to use these guys uh, quite a bit in our lineups, and so not only are we getting them adjusted to the NFL and seeing evaluating them, but we're actually getting them ready to to play significant roles on this team. So a little different training camp approach than maybe in the past with the Bucks, But anyway, for those that are going to the game against the Ravens, yeah, you'll get to see at least for a half Baker Mayfield and the starting offensive line and receivers and the starting defense uh, will be out there. And, and uh, the, the plan at least is 
for the first half, but of course that can change based on results and and other things that are happening and just sort of what what their what their appetite is for leaving guys in because I know what happens when you get to that last preseason game. Every series goes by that head coach goes, if I pull these guys right now, I'm guaranteed to have them September 10th at Minnesota. But if I leave them in for one more play and a guy gets hurt, I'm going to feel like an idiot. Uh, so there's there's real pressure there to try to get them in, get them out, uh, and uh, and let them go from there. But uh, we'll have a lot more uh, in the Tampa Bay Times on TampaBay.com about the final preseason game, about Baker Mayfield. A lot of bouquets were thrown uh, towards Kyle Trask by Dave Canales, their offensive coordinator. You can check that out. Joey Knight did a story about that. He believes he's a starting quality quarterback for this league and uh, was really impressed with uh, just, you know, how, how he came on. And there was that point when I wrote the story and he referenced the, 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 the period where, you know, Baker was not having so many good practices and Kyle really kind of took off and then the game happened and then Baker – uh, just got carried that momentum into the Jets workout, and they knew pretty much after they left uh, New Jersey that that Baker was their guy, which is I think why they didn't play him in the preseason game. Uh, and then of course they announced that he was the starter uh, earlier in the week. So uh, it is Baker's team, and we'll see uh, we'll see if that changes. You know when he's out there now, uh, not competing, but actually as as the starting quarterback. Before we get to Matt Baker, you guys already know it's hurricane season. They're lining up out there. As a matter of fact, my wife was telling me now we might have something to worry about in a few days. Uh, yeah, it's coming not. next week maybe. Yeah, not happy about that at all. But the good news is this. You can keep the power on without breaking the bank, and that's with solar battery backup power. There is no fuel cost to run it, no loud generator noise, no annual maintenance cost. And May Electric Solar, our sponsors, offers a 15-year warranty on their solar battery backup. Plus, solar battery backup saves you hundreds of dollars each month. If you lose power, a generator can cost over $2,000 a week just to run that. So solar battery uh, systems qualify also for a 30% tax credit for new systems or for adding a battery to your existing in-phase solar system. You also get that credit. Trust the pros in solar. To learn more about May Electric's solar battery backup or to get started, call 727-819-2862 or visit mayelectricsolar.com. All right, best time of the week. We get to talk some college football with Matt Baker, and it is week zero, Matt, which is not week one, but it means that we've got games this weekend. Navy's playing Notre Dame in Ireland. And before you know it, next Thursday, the Florida Gators will be headed out to Utah. It's college football season, man. I know. We, we made it. It was a very weird, very long off offseason uh, with, with the portal and realignment and, and all this stuff. But we are here. There is actually one game on Saturday that is worth your time. Mm-hmm. And as you said, it's Notre Dame Navy. The rest is absolute garbage. <laughs> but it is. I would have some garbage, rather have some garbage than no garbage at all. So yeah. I, I, my, my kid who I've, I've talked about before the big college football fan was talking the other day, looking at the schedule and he's excited to watch UTEP in Jacksonville state. Yeah, he I is. was like, Oh my God, you are my kid. You are my son. All right. <laughs> hey, I haven't checked the Red Wolves schedule, but there's a chance probably Arkansas state will be playing sooner than later. So I'm, I'm willing to watch all those games. I don't care. College football is back and that's what we live for. We love our college football Saturdays game day. You give me anything that says it's fall when it's 105 degrees outside, and I'm all about it. So 
Um, that's fun that we finally made it here. But we got a lot to talk about, and uh, you've written some interesting stories this week I wanted to get into, not the least of which, Netflix has a series. Uh-huh. <laughs> and and, uh, and and generally I like Netflix series. I don't know if you've seen The Quarterback or some of those that have been going on. Um, but uh, uh, the latest one is a documentary uh, about the Florida Gators, and it's about Urban Meyer's Florida Gators. And is Florida Gators the untold, uh, Florida Gators untold Swamp King? I thought you put it, put it pretty well, Matt, in your, uh, in your story in the Tampa Bay Times and on TampaBay.com. There's a lot untold. In fact, too much untold about the shenanigans and, and sort of the bad character things that went on off the field. Yeah, that was my con- my complaint with or criticism, I should say, uh, of this series, and, and I wasn't alone with that. It's not like an, an original idea, but you know, watch it. It's four parts. I think it was three hours and three minutes is the official runtime, and I, I know you know that, that's not enough to go over the entire urban era from 05 to 10. It, you're you're going to miss stuff, right? Stuff is going to get left out. That's the way it is with any of these things. But I would think. If I'm just talking to a casual college football fan in Tampa, Topeka, whatever they are, what do you remember about the Urban Meyer Gator teams? What sticks out? The first thing will be Tim Tebow. Absolutely. The next thing will be Urban Meyer in the national championships. Yeah, I would imagine to a lot of them, Aaron Hernandez, Aaron Hernandez is on that list. And mm-hmm. it's not because he was a really good tight end, right? right? It's because of the whole murder thing. And the whole murder thing was completely ignored. Not a single word mentioned. Mm. Um you know, Tony Joyner was a captain on the 07 team and, and recently pleaded no contest to second-degree murder down in, I think it was Collier County. That was not mentioned at all. Wow. So to recap, there were two guys who went to prison for murder on the teams in that era, and that was not included at all. Um, again, some of the other stuff, Cam Newton and the laptop, right? And, and yeah. the, the, and the Pounces and Carlos Dunlap had a DUI before, I think it was the 09 SEC title game that had him suspended and was a fairly significant loss. And, you know, any of the other number of off-field issues, they were really glanced over or in most cases, 100,000% completely ignored. Mm. And I want to be clear on this. The, the story of, of that you know, that Herbert Myers Gators era is not the off-field stuff. It's the on-field stuff and the off-field stuff. That's what yeah. makes it so interesting, right? Yeah. Because those were really good Florida teams. I don't know that that era was much better than, like, 90s Nebraska or, you know, some of the, uh, uh, obviously, Miami, the Alabama. Miami teams or something. Right, like and the, the Alabama era now and what have you. But what makes that Florida era so fascinating and so compelling is you had the extreme highs on the field and also all the shenanigans and characters off the field. It was that volatile mixture and maybe there were, there was some, some correlation and causation in there too. Um, that's what made it so interesting. And that's why I was disappointed where part of that is completely ignored because it's again, the, the Gators, that's a great team and, and that in and of itself is, is interesting, but there's a whole other part of that. That was again, as we said, untold and it's still largely untold because I still don't know that I have a great understanding and great reckoning of what that era was in its entirety, if that makes sense. No, it does. And then uh, one of the guys that uh, along those lines was Zach Smith, one of his former assistants. And then that ended up being a big scandal up in uh, 
Ohio State when uh, and and, and Ur- I'm sorry to interrupt, but yeah. and I didn't I didn't say this earlier, but Ur- Urban Meyer going to the hospital right with the chest pains. I've right. had so many Florida fans over the years say conspiracy theories about this, that, and the other with that, mm-hmm. and we don't need to get into them. That's that's I don't, we're not doing that. But my right. point is. That is some and an important part of the story of Urban Meyer and those Gators team to to completely get everything out there, or to at least address the fact that he went to the hospital. I did think Urban um, was somewhat candid in, in the pressure and talking about how he had to take two Ambien and wash it down with beer to get four yeah, nights sleep. Not good man. Yeah, like Urban was somewhat. I mean, or maybe entirely forthcoming on that type of stuff, and that was real, right? It, it, right. it was raw, and, and it helped tell tell the story but there was a whole other part of there that was ignored and given the the conspiracy theories i've heard over the years and again just just the fact that the head coach went to the hospital with chest pains like that's a big deal and you have time in the series to to show highlights of a win over troy and and western kentucky and not talk about the head coach you know his his wife calling 911 because he was having chest pains at four in the morning or whatever like mm, I, that's I don't I don't I don't get that one. Actually, left the program and then decided to return. Correct. And now what happened ultimately? And, yeah, and that was kind of briefly glanced, you know, briefly mentioned, but it, yeah. it's it's one of those where they just kind of yada yada over it, and mm-hmm. that's not something that you treat like you do a win over Troy. When you watch something like, there's a couple things that I find fascinating about that time with the Gators, and that is the pop the the, the figure that Tim Tebow was and, mm-hmm. and, and, and became even in this short stint in the NFL, what he represented, right? Um, all things that they love in the South. And I'm going to be a little bit stereotypical here, but I don't care. It's uh, <laughs> a good start. Football. Okay. We, we love us some football in the deep South, right? Fair enough. SEC. Uh, you go to church on Sunday, but Saturday is is a pretty religious day in and of itself, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know, I, I I could be wrong about this, but I think it's probably the first first conference or region of the country where they needed, you know, highway patrolmen to to guard the coach on the way off the field. I don't know. Maybe they started someplace else. But be that as it may, you had Tim Tebow, who was of course very religious, uh, wore that on his sleeve, literally. Um, uh, represented everything that you would love in in a leader, um, you know, tearfully uh, egging his team on to be better, for him to be better, and he was a champion. And he was, at the time, and and still is, maybe one of the most successful college football players in history, right? Sure. But he had, he was pure, and I think that's what people loved about him. And if you've met Tim Tebow, it's real. You know, this is not a show. I mean, this guy wears this on his sleeve. He's a high character guy. I've never had an encounter with him that I didn't enjoy um, just personally. So there's that. But against that backdrop of some really shady characters on his football team, I mean, like just the opposite, right? Like Florida was tolerating some of the guys that Urban Meyer was putting up with the Aaron Hernandez and others, and they were getting into trouble. And, And not for nothing, but like we know now, and I guess this could still exist in college football, but it certainly was sort of just whitewashed away back in the day, kind of a bully to say the very, to say the very least, like the way he ran his program militaristic, like in, in ways that I don't necessarily think that that's encouraged anymore, or at least open the way it is, you know, the, the way it was back then. 
Yeah, you, you go in and, and look at, again, like you said, militaristic was the term that Urban used yeah. um, as, as a way to kind of, in the the series, kind of preempt the, the quote-unquote narrative. Narrative, by the way, is one of my favorite, my, my least favorite <laughs> words out there. It no, drives me so nuts. Useful. <laughs> uh, so that was Urban kind of addressing the quote-unquote narrative of his players and his, his program being out of source. Oh, no, we were militaristic. Um, and yeah, there's that. And I mean, it wasn't that long ago in a lot of ways, but it was too, where if in today's society in 2023, you had that many arrests and that many issues uh, off the field, I don't know that it would have, it would have lasted. I mean, obviously we saw what happened with him at Ohio state. That's right. It's not quite the same, but, um, you can be done in, I think, easier in some ways because of off-field stuff. Even well, if we you're saw what ultra, happened ultra in Jacksonville. Successful. I mean, we definitely saw what happened in Jacksonville, right, with one social media post of a woman and him not coming home from a game and all of that, right? For for sure, and, and that's part of it. Although, if if he had been winning in Jacksonville, things sure. might have been different. And that's sure. part of the calculus too. Where yeah, um, yeah, and that's it's been that way in college football for a long time. I mean, yeah, you're you're willing to look the other way, be your, whether you're a coach or a fan or an administrator, as long as you're mm-hmm. winning. Um, but I do think the calculus to some degree has changed since those days with Urban. And I mean, it would be fascinating to see if you could. We could take that team and put it in a time machine and transform it to to this season, and you know everything that happened afterwards. See how see if things play out differently with that roster in those circumstances. That was though a, 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 an a magical time for champion. I mean, they were winning a lot, man. <laughs> I mean, do you think Florida will ever get back to that sort of? Uh, I mean, that's ever since they've been chasing sort of urban success, right during that period. They have been, and I, I go back and forth on this. I, I guess we kind of have to determine what the parameters are. Yeah. Um, can Florida win a national championship again? Yes, absolutely. Uh, I mean, there's roughly fifteen, you know, ten to ten to fifteen programs in the country that could, that yeah. can realistically expect to win a national championship. That's fair. And yeah, yeah we can quibble over the exact number, but it's in that range. That's and fair. Florida's absolutely one of them. They have the resources, they have mm-hmm. the tradition, they have the local recruiting footprint, they have the sure. fan base, uh, all, all that stuff. There's zero reason why Florida cannot win a national championship again. However, we, we have to take that and put it into context with everything else, which is over the court, you know, the hundred whatever years of Florida football, only two guys have done it. And that's right. Some some of the others have had success, you know, flashes of success. Will yeah. Muschamp went to the Sugar Bowl, and uh, McElwain went to Atlantis twice and winning the East and, and, and Dan went to three straight New Year's six bowls. And, and, you know, if guy doesn't throw a shoe, maybe things turn out differently. But <laughs> the, the fact is they haven't sustained success aside from the two coaches. So it makes you wonder how much is the program and how much we're just Spurrier and, and urban. We're just two transcendent coaches. And obviously it takes a, a lot. I was thinking about this earlier. Um, Somebody was messaging. There was a ESPN did a really good story a, a week or two ago on Virginia Tech and kind of how they fell um, a- after Frank Beamer left in the Justin Fuente era and just trying to build back up. And I think a lot of times, college fo- there's so much that goes into college football to to success because it's not just 
a team. It's the surroundings, right? Who, who are you in a conference with? How are they? How is your coach? How are their coaches? I mean, we, we talked about it before, before, but all the stuff that had to click in the 80s for Florida, Florida State, Miami to become the big three with, with just who they were playing and the state of Florida exploding population-wise. And yeah. there's so many things that go into it that have zero to do with football. I mean, like, who's the president of your school? Do they care about football? Or are they putting resources in? Like, all that stuff matters. And I say that to say Florida absolutely can win a championship again. But I, I don't know if we'll see a time where they were with, with Urban just because that doesn't happen very often. I mean, there's only a couple places that have won two and three years kind of in this this modern era. And I don't know that it's going to get easier to, to have a dynasty as we have this era with the portal and, and NIL and all that stuff, which honestly, just to pivot, that makes what George is doing seem especially um, even more impressive right now. Yeah, and, and college football, I think, as much as any sport, is about the head coach. Um, and we see that time and time again. And, and certainly those, those guys you mentioned that won championships, just look it up. Steve Spurrier, Urban Meyer special, special coaches in, in the game of college football. Just to wrap up one final thought, I, I've shared this before, but um, when I knew that something was different about Tim Tebow, really knew, was when he came out into the draft and we were at in Mobile at the Senior Bowl. And I saw, it was almost like a Beatles-like reception. And I know I'm, you know, I wasn't, I mean, the Beatles, right? I mean, name a band. <laughs> um, but but it, was, it was weird because he was absolutely mobbed not by just Florida fan, by every SEC fan you can think of, Tennessee, Alabama, teams he had beaten for national championships. These fans were all over this guy. They, they, you know, at that point he was coming out into the NFL. They wanted a piece of this dude because of what he represented. It was the, it was the wildest thing I've ever seen. I don't know that that many players that have played and won national championships in the SEC are embraced by other programs and their fans the way Tim Tebow was, at least once his Florida days were over. It was something. It, it was. And have I told my, my honeymoon story about Tim Tebow? Have I told that one here? Well, careful now. Is it good for a, <laughs> uh, an, a, a G-rated podcast? Yeah, I don't know. It's, it's, it's fine. It's fine. I promise. Okay. So okay. Uh, my wife and I got married in 2011, and mm-hmm. this is height of, of Tebow mania. Yeah, so yeah. Just, before we, just before we left for the wedding, we, we needed to get renter's insurance for our apartment. Okay. Mm-hmm. So I called the insurance guy, and we're going through all the boring rental insurance stuff because this is literally the most boring thing you could possibly do. And, okay, what's your name? Where do you work? Oh, what do you do at the Tampa Bay Times? Oh, I'm a sports writer. Oh, you're a sports writer. What do you think about Tim Tebow? <laughs> and I'm like, oh, my goodness gracious. I just want to get my insurance. I just want to, yeah. Um, so we, we, we talk about Tebow for a little bit, and I'm just like, okay, I just want my insurance. Okay. And it's, it's the Broncos, and it's this Tebow mania everywhere. Where, you know, we get married in Texas, and we're, we're getting ready to fly to Cancun for, for uh, the honeymoon. And Tim Tebow is on the cover of Sports Illustrated in every magazine. Mm-hmm. So we land in another country. And we take the shuttle to the the resort or whatever. Right. And we go into the lobby and we check in and there's a coffee shop right over there. So we go over to the coffee shop to get coffee in another country. And what do you think is on television? Tim freaking Tebow. I'm like, oh my God, what are we doing? And obviously that's not Tim's fault. It's nothing like that. Like like you, I I haven't had a ton of interactions with him, but he's always been gracious. Yeah. He he is obviously a very good human. He's a real great player. 
all that stuff. But whenever I think about Tebow, I always just think about how like for five days around my wedding, whatever it was, I could not escape it. Hard to compete with Tim Tebow even around your wedding time, that's for sure. Um, okay, well, that, that's, uh, <laughs> that's great stuff. Um, you did a story, and I think people should read this because I, I have a little history with this guy, and now you have interviewed him about his current history. Trent Dilfer who, of course, was a Bucks first-round draft pick, sort of a, well, I mean, when he was here, he, he wasn't exactly beloved uh, quarterback of the Buccaneers. He went on, of course, to win a Super Bowl in Tampa with the Baltimore Ravens, ironically enough, against the New York Giants. Um, but, but again, a first-round pick out of Fresno State. Uh, he's done, gone on to coach high school, and now... Not only is he coaching in college football, but he has some some unique ideas about his staff, about what he wants to do, and it and it's gonna and it's his way. It's not the traditional way that you would think that you put together a new college staff. No, it is absolutely not. So he's the it's his first year as the coach at UAB, um, mm-hmm. and, and they're making the jump from uh, Conference USA to the American Athletic Conference. So they're you know going to be playing against FAU and USF and those guys. Um, so. What was interesting to me is because he's he's wasn't on a college staff before. He has zero college coaching experience. He, he spent four years at Lipscomb Academy and coaching high school ball in, in Nashville. And a lot of times when you would think about somebody who's making that kind of jump from high school to college right. or just not a lot of experience, they would surround themselves with a lot of experienced guys. You know, yeah. um, Alex Golish at USF, uh, it's his first time being a head coach and a a lot of the guys on his staff have a good amount of experience. Uh, and, and again, that makes perfect sense. Help me know, help me, help teach me what I don't know that I don't know. Um, Dion at, at Colorado, again, he has some experience at Jackson State. Yeah. Um, but his offensive coordinator is Sean Lewis, who has spent five years at Kent State. Uh, I think three of the guys on his staff were assistants on the 2013 FSU National Championship team. So again, he's surrounding himself with people who know this this part of, of coaching better than he does. Yeah. And Trent Dilfer did not do that at all. There's only, I mean, his, his offensive coordinator has never called a game at the college level. Wow. His defensive coordinator has never called a play at the college level. Mm. Um, it, it's, it's a bunch of, honestly, it's a bunch of high school coaches. And uh, again, there's, and not just high school coaches. I think most of the others were analysts at South Carolina or Ohio State or Alabama. So it's it's a very bizarre, I shouldn't say bizarre, that's too much of a negative connotation, but it's a very unique way of putting together a staff. And, and I asked him why. And his thing was, I didn't want a bunch of people complaining about how, col- this was like, this is how it was in the good old days back when you know, I started out in 1973. Mm-hmm. He didn't want that. He didn't want the cl- complaining and griping. He wanted people who can figure it out. Figure it outness is the word that he used. He wanted people who aren't going to shy away from the problems. They're not going to think about, oh, this is how we did something similar in Virginia Tech in 1987. No, they're going to address college football the way it is right now in 2023 with the portal and NIL and everything else. And it's a very interesting idea um, because it's so far away from what I would have thought. And it'll either it will work very well, in which case he's kind of a disruptor where he's found a, a, you know, a, a better mousetrap, right? A different way to do this. Or it will crash and burn spectacularly, and I, there's probably not an in the middle there. Um, and it's it's just going to be very interesting to see how it plays out. Where 
I mean, Trent Dilfer knows a lot about ball. You know, he, he obviously played mm-hmm. at a high level, went to a Pro Bowl, won a Super Bowl. Right. Um, he spent a lot of time coaching Elite 11, which is kind of the That's top right. quarterback uh, competition showcase in the country for uh, recruits and worked at the opening, which, again, another talent showcase for top recruits. So he, he's been around ball and been around a lot of things. It's just that this is very, very different. And that sets you, it sets you up to be second-guessed if you're wrong or if you're right, you look like a genius. Did I see where he has uh, major? Is it Major Applewhite that's involved in this? Austin Appleby. Ma- Austin Appleby. Fr- I'm all over. I forget the place. where. I forget where Major Major Applewhite is now. I I lost track of it. It was Apple um, something, but yeah. Yeah, Austin Appleby, the uh, former Florida Gators uh, quarterback in the McElwain era. Um, I, I asked him about. He's he's the receivers coach, and, and Austin's you know to his credit has kind of climbed up the ladder. He was like in the. AAF, I don't even remember what that stands for anymore. He was there. Um, He was with uh, Jim McElwain as an analyst at Central Michigan and had been at uh, Missouri State under Bobby Petrino. Um, But Dilfer and Austin Appleby go back a ways. I guess in the first Elite 11 class that Trent Dilfer had, Austin Appleby was one of the players. Um, And he said, all these years later, of all the great quarterbacks that I had, Austin was my favorite. He wasn't wow. the most talented. He wasn't the best or anything like that. He was just wired the right way. Great family, great guy. Just loved the way he worked. And he told me, you know, I knew at some point we'd end up working together. I just didn't know it would be this soon. That'd be fascinating. I hope he does well because Trent Trent's good people. He does know a lot of football, and his experience is good and mostly bad at times. Uh, will help him uh, with those kids. I, I know he's a terrific father. He has three three girls that have all played college volleyball. Um, so, and him and his wife, Cassandra are, uh, are good people. So check that out in the Tampa Bay times on Tampa Bay.com, uh, story of Trent Dilfer at UAB. Okay. So for the record, mentioned- hold on for the record, major Applewhite is now the offensive coordinator and quarterbacks coach at South Alabama. Well, there you South go. Alabama. See, I, we were so close. Applebee, Apple, we're all going to Applebee's with the Applewhites or whoever, <laughs> whatever we're doing. We're going to do something like that. Um, he- Major Applewhite was at Bama at one point. He's he's been around the block since he got fired from uh, from Houston. But you know, South Alabama, by the way, is going to be pretty good again this year. So uh, shout out to to the folks, the Jaguars down in Mobile, and their uh, fairly new on campus football stadium. The state of Alabama just keeps rolling on with their football players. All right, uh, get you out on this one. So I mentioned it is week zero, and we do have college football, but I'm. We've talked about this before. What I love about college football is what it looks like they're taking away, and that is the tradition, right? I, I know what the NFL is. It's all about, you know, making money, and, and it's a zero-sum game, and you go to the Super Bowl, and they fire coaches, and they have, you know, all kinds of uh, revenue sharing and things like this. Fine. But what I like about college football is I like my rivalries. I like uh, knowing where teams are and which conference, and all of that, it seems, might be – gone and gone forever but i still got a year do i still got a year to enjoy my college football matt you do you do this is the so we've known for a while rick that 2024 is when things were going to change in college football right but over the last couple months it's gotten a lot crazier so there's kind of two buckets to this and why this this is the last season of I don't want to be too extreme, but the last season of college football as you know it. <laughs> um, so the first thing is the playoff. Uh, it's getting ready to expand from four teams to 12. This, so this is the last year of four teams. Mm-hmm. Um, so why does that matter? The, the stakes, the way it's, it kind of was in the 80s and 90s and aughts, 
uh, and still is to some degree, of one loss almost kills your title chances, that's done. If we look at last year's, how that season played out, and apply the future playoff criteria to it, if that makes sense, there would have been, I think, five teams that had two losses that would have made last year's playoff. And two teams, two conference champions in, in Utah and Kansas State, that had three losses that would have made it. In the nine playoffs we've had so far, we've had, we have yet to have a two-loss team. So that's very, very different. Where the whole live or die on every Saturday, oh, it's yeah. not going to be quite the same. Um, and I, I use the word different. It's just what it's going to be because there are still going to be stakes. Uh, you know, uh, Kansas State and, and TCU, that Big 12 championship game last year, TCU lost and they still made the Final Four. But you apply that, you apply the new criteria or the, the future criteria to it, that would have probably or potentially cost uh, TCU from uh, having a first round bye. So, like, it's just going to be different pressure. Um, you, you look at uh, the Florida State-Florida game last year, which was a fantastic game, I, and I was so glad to see that rivalry be fun. Yeah. I've, I've covered some awful games between those two. But that would have been even bigger last year because Florida State would have been a, a bubble team on the playoffs. So that kind of right. gives you a little bit of a, an idea of what a fringe playoff team looks like you know at last year's Knowles team so as it add in you know not just florida florida state on black friday and the rivalry and all that florida state was playing for a chance potentially to go to the playoffs. so that just ups the ante on some of those so it, i think it's it's good and bad that um that the, the playoff is expanding but if you're a traditionalist and like the idea of one sat one bad saturday south carolina beating georgia whatever it is can can derail your entire championship season this is probably the last year where that's going to happen the the second kind of major bucket here and what's getting ready to change is realignment and it's you know again we've known this for a bit two years ago is when texas and oklahoma decided or announced they were going to go to the sec although the, the timeline changed a little bit but everything else that's happened since were usc and ucla and then oregon and washington going to the the big 10 and the, the four corner schools going to the pac-12 and all this stuff there's just been so much that has happened there where and shoot as, as we record on at, was it 9 30 on thursday night um cal and stanford are still in limbo but there's a bigger possibility that they're going to be in the ACC than there was a couple of days ago, maybe a week ago. So think about that for a second. Cal and Stanford will not be in a conference with USC and UCLA, Jeez. but could be in a conference with Florida State and Miami. And that conference, by the way, is the Atlantic Coast Conference. Mm. Okay, so chew on that for a second. Um and, and, you know, for all we know, Washington State could end up in the AAC. So Washington State and or Oregon State against USF or FAU, that, those might be conference games. Like, this is all the stuff that's going on. And um, rivalries, unfortunately, will be lost. You know, Oklahoma, Oklahoma State's the one that breaks my heart just because I covered it. Um, you know, that one is going away. But Oklahoma will play Ole Miss, but not the Cowboys. Like, there's a, there's a lot of stupid stuff in there. Um so if you're a diehard traditionalist and, and love the rivalries as we do, that's going to hurt. Uh, the, the trade-off, though, as I try and kind of look at the, the glass half full here, is that there's going to be other really fun games, too. Um, we Oregon might not play Oregon State. and I, Again, I hope they do. But they might play Ohio State. Like, that's pretty cool. Yeah. So we're going to have to kind of take the good with the bad here. You know, realignment giveth and realignment taketh away. Um, but the fact is, if you're... 
a, a kind of a, an older school person and you, you love the rivalries and that's what you're, you're there for it. Next year is going to look different, but I got news for you. Five years after that, it's going to look different. And 10 years after that, it's going to look even more different as we go to this future of probably two super leagues or one giant premier league or whatever it ends up being, it's going to continue to look different. So it's, if, if you're a traditionalist, enjoy this season because it's, you're not going to have one like it again. Well, I'm going to enjoy it. I'm going to enjoy it starting Saturday with Navy at Notre, uh, Notre Dame in Ireland. And then we've got San Jose State playing number six USC. And then it's uh, next Thursday. The Gators head out to Utah and play them. And all right, I'll throw it in there. Saturday, Saturday September 2nd. This is the one we've all waited for. Arkansas State is at Oklahoma. Oh, my, the Red Wolves in for trouble there. Anyway, you can check out all these stories. All his work uh, in college football is here. Week zero coming up right now. And uh, that's Matt Baker in the Tampa Bay Times and on TampaBay.com. Thanks, Matt. Sure. Thanks, Rick. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a -a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. All right, college football, looking forward to it. Also looking forward to the Bucks' final preseason game, Saturday night, Raymond James Stadium against the Baltimore Ravens. Starters will play. Baker Mayfield, the starting quarterback, They'll have his line there, have his receivers, defense will be there. So uh, look for them to play at least one half, and we'll see how Todd Bowles' team stacks up right now. And then the Rays have a series they begin against those New York Yankees, the slumping New York Yankees coming here, uh, not playing very good baseball, but, of course, a rivalry nonetheless. And it'll be interesting to see how many Yankee fans show up when they're not playing that well. But uh, the Rays need to keep it going at home, and uh, they're still trying to chase down the Baltimore Orioles. We've got a race that's going to go, I think, all the way to the wire. So thanks for listening all week. We'll be back to talk to you on Monday about the weekend. For Steve Versnick, I'm Rick Stroud of the Tampa Bay Times. Have a great day, everybody. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. If you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. Use the Stamps.com mobile app to mail everything you need to keep your business running with up to 89% off USPS and UPS. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Use code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM.